Hello and welcome to episode 12. We finally made it six months of doing this. Oh we my. still haven't figured out our microphone situation. It's because we don't have money. Well, that's fine. But maybe we'll get money one day if we work real hard and uh, do the lemonade stand every weekend. <laughs> Just keep it up. <laughs> I'm tired of you making me squeeze lemonade every day. <laughs> Well, this episode, we're focusing on going over the Granary Arts Critical Ground event that we went to last week. I noticed a lot of people were saying granary. Granary. I say granary. I do too, but... Because of the grain. Granary, not granary. Granary Arts. But the building used to hold, like, grain and, and food and stuff. Am I just making that up? Do I want to believe there's this magical tie from the word to the... To the no, I think, it's, I think just when you change, when you say it's, there's a grain, and where the grain is stored is in the granary, I think that might just be how it is. Well, I don't think that anyone would care how we're pronouncing it. Let's say granary. Okay, well then, you win. We're, we're saying granary now. I think we all win. <laughs> I think you win. Last week, we went to Granary Arts. And we participated in Critical Ground, which was a one-day event of... It was kind of a, it was a day and an evening. A day and an evening. We, were, we had the ability to go early for the dinner the night before. Friday was the event, the whole day event. Mm-hmm. It was a huge, life-changing experience for me. Life-changing? Yeah, pretty life-changing. I'm not going to lie. I kind we did of, start a diet. I did, <laughs> did start a diet after. Now that's not connected not related but i don't know i mean i think being able to be in a space with saturated with critics and artists and curators and arts administrators like you talk about when you're in college or when you're in school you hear about all these roles and how they work together and in this ambiguous way they create this ecosystem and in real life when you're participating in it you don't really have these moments where you get to see that ecosystem function in one space um in one time and that's pretty magical so for me as someone who you know i'm just coming at it as an artist and a writer to see the world of it helps me understand my place in it and that to me was life-changing what's your place in it that's personal (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was great too i i think it being as many people as there were which there were, what, 30, 40 people? Yeah, not the original 70 that I was touting around at dinner. That you were pulling out of your <laughs> ass. Yeah, it's like just a really good amount of people. And not too long, you know, it was just sort of like the morning into the late afternoon until like five or so. So, it, you know, a whole it, day. But it was immersive because we weren't like taking that long breaks. Yeah, I mean, it, and you know, you had um, museum directors, curators, artists arts writers so yeah kind of every facet of the every little cog of the machine was there and it didn't feel like there was a lot of pressure to like network so much as it was just like hey we all share this space together like i'd like to get to know you more and and learn your name and become familiar with you like i made a lot of connections that weren't like hey here's my business card but more like what do you think about this idea so critical ground is an arts conference kind of arts writing centered conference uh, arts Criticism Conference um, in Ephraim, Utah at Granary Arts and hosted by them and organized by them. And our last episode, we had 
um, Darren and Amy on who kind of coordinate the event um, and the whole idea of it is to like we've been saying organize people together who are in this arts writing sphere in Utah and kind of talk about um, you know just the dynamics that are going on the state of arts criticism and how it's functioning and kind of listening to some panels um, just an opportunity for us all to convene and you know have discussions with each other so that occurred over Saturday, or sorry, about uh, over Thursday night and Friday in Ephraim, Utah. So after a two-hour, not three-hour drive to Ephraim, mm-hmm. we arrived to this dinner, which the first thing, it's it's obviously not just a dinner. We arrived to Granary Arts and are able to experience the exhibit that's happening, which was called Isla de Lechuga, which I feel like was such a great way to enter this, you know, next 48 hours or so, because it was just like such a playful, exploratory, childlike exhibit featuring like pieces that you can interact with and standing in there already kind of just with the color and the shapes and all of that, like got me out of my head of you know, I'm here to do work. I'm here to do a presentation. I'm here to network. Mm-hmm. And it got me into the space of, like, I'm here to just, like, play. This is, like, what I love. Mm-hmm. And I get to be around other people who love it. So I really loved being able to walk in before even sitting down for dinner and be able to see this exhibit. I think on one level it was nice to just see an exhibit at all. Um, you know, to be able to come into a curated space and kind of set the table, so to speak, with something that I, I, you know, maybe other people there had been to that exhibit already, but I hadn't. And so just, like, getting the opportunity to, like, have a relationship to a new piece of art, the get-go, was nice. But then that particular exhibit, like you were saying, did have, like, this playful, childlike, like, explicitly playful, explicitly childlike quality to it that I feel um, kind of had a disarming effect. Uh, It sounds like for you um and it did for me of you know we don't have to be so serious Mm -hmm. uh this is not even just fun but like this is engaging and this is um a place to like be imaginative and think differently and yeah like it really set the stage i felt yeah and it's almost like it was placed we had to go through that to get to the dinner section where we were gonna have dinner which was in the like kind of little side yard it was perfect weather there were string lights everywhere we were all just like really excited to rachel stallings tomander tomander was Mm -hmm. the artist by the way and that runs until august 11th people should go see that yeah definitely and well that's another fun element is that the the work of that exhibit was referencing food a lot too. Yeah, there's a lot of slices of bread and cheese and bologna, and it was just kind of pretzels. Yeah, poetic to walk through mm-hmm. uh, before we sat down for dinner and really um, invited the imagination. And Amy did a really great job of going to everybody and making sure that you know I met somebody that I have never met. You know, she she was actually going in there and like grabbing people and be like, here, you should meet, go meet this person, mm-hmm. this person, you should go meet this person, like really facilitating. Because it was really easy for me to just be like, well, I know Alexander Ortega and Horacio yeah. Rodriguez and I know mm-hmm. Nancy Rivera 
and that's who I want to sit with because those are my friends, you know. Yeah. But um, I, I do kind of wish that I had. Be, I, I did. I did feel like I got to know more people. But I, if I have a regret for myself, it's that I didn't branch out even a little bit more. Again, you know, I it's it was one day, so I, I think for the amount of time that we had to do stuff. It felt good. So we, we had dinner and we, um, it was, there was no programming that night. It was just to get people together, kind of warm everyone up. That's when we met Fazit Lot and mm-hmm. she, she's a photographer, f- photography teacher over at USU. USU. And she, oh, I loved her the whole weekend. I just like, yeah, I was like, she's awesome. Honestly, maybe the MVP. <laughs> she was the MVP, I would say. <laughs> she was just so fun. Yeah, and just kind of set the scene for the group that we were going to be with. Not everybody who participated in the uh, programming was there that night, but most, yeah, I would option. say. And then we all went back to our The hotel. one hotel only from. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say, too, that, like, inter- uh, speaking about Amy, um, like, facilitating conversation and just, like, her general demeanor and Darren's general demeanor... Um, and the support of the Granary staff and volunteers and the Lechuga exhibits, just everything. Like, I think it. if people didn't attend this or didn't listen to the other episode, um, or maybe you did and you got this impression for some reason, it, I think it'd be easy to imagine this as being sort of pretentious, like to having an air of pretension about it. Like, we're, oh, we're mm-hmm. all going to go to this uh, rural area in U- central Utah. And talk art. Uh-huh. But it wasn't that way at all. I like know. it, I never had a feeling like we were... There wasn't, like, a sense of snobbery or anything. I feel like everybody felt very down-to-earth. Um, Amy, specifically, we mm-hmm. were talking on the car ride home about how she just felt very genuine and um, easy to interact with. It, it didn't feel like we needed... I didn't feel like I needed to be on. I yeah. felt like I could be sort of a little bit goofy in myself and that that was um welcome and appropriate even that's something that's really hard for me is to not feel like i need to be on i need to you you even described it on the car ride there you're like oh i'm gonna get weird awkward conversation bianca Mm -hmm. who needs to like be talking to people and is gonna probably put her foot in her mouth or something (laughs) and i don't think i put my foot in my mouth the whole time because i wasn't anxious and i wasn't um trying to, I wasn't trying to like like be this persona or whatever mm-hmm. and that's that that's probably why I felt so in converted I guess <laughs> by this event because it just it offered me that space to just completely be myself but also interact mm-hmm. with folks that I want to interact with and network yeah. with without that element of like oh uh present this right the right branding or the right you know yeah uh, I do Manners feel, or whatever. I do feel sometimes in doing arts writing that it is sort of like putting on airs a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was one of the topics that we addressed. Uh, like, who who has the authority to write about art? And it's like, well, anybody does. It's 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 not that serious. Um, at the same time, it is. It's like, but, you know, I felt like I... I said it already. I felt like I was able to show up authentically and not mm-hmm. having to, to put on anything. Before we just like keep going blow by blow, let's just lay out what it was. So we, we had the dinner Thursday night, Friday morning, we had the talk by Southwest Contemporary, then the following talk, we had a little break. Shana Dambrot. Then we had a hike, we had some lunch, and then we hiked to what is the center 
of the state of Utah, which I was kind of wondering about because, like, given Utah's shape, I'm not really sure. I-, I wondered how that was being calculated, if it was taking into account the, like, little panhandle. Like, what does the center even mean? Then we, so we did a hike, um, and then we kind of sat around where is, you know, supposedly the quote-unquote center. And then Bianca gave a talk, mm-hmm. along with Alexander Orte- Ortega. Um, and then we went to the Rat Fink Museum, um, which is a museum of, uh, oh, is it Big Ed Roth? Is that his Big name? Big Daddy Roth. Big Daddy Roth. Uh, the classic iconic rat fink, which if you're not familiar, it's like, I mean, you've definitely seen this image before. It's that, uh, uh anti-Mickey Mouse mouse who's like driving a hot rod and he looks it's fucking insane. Got like a big titty girlfriend. What's uh-huh. her name? Trixie? I think so. And he's, <laughs> he's like his, you know, his fingers are all ganglion up and he's uh, slobbering everywhere. Um, yeah, so that was, th- that was the day and then we, then we headed home. So maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, but it was a lot. So mm-hmm. anyway. So after dinner, we all kind of, uh, somehow gathered in the hot tub area. I mean, cause I had originally, originally just been texting with Scotty from South Contemporary. Um, and she and I like planned to get together in the hot tub with Scott, Steve from Southwest Contemporary and you, of course. And uh, and then the whole group just shows up in this tiny little area that's, I don't know, how many square feet that could have been. It's like the size of this room almost. I mean, it was bigger than that, but certainly we were over capacity for yeah, that space. Yeah, just cramped in this area. Park and I, the only ones in the hot tub. We got there at 9.50. <laughs> it's supposed to close at 10. Mm-hmm. And we just, and slowly, just like from just me and Scotty and... Stephen Parker turned into everybody, and everybody brought their own, like, alcohol, because it's a dry town, so we all went to the same Maverick to go get alcohol, Mm -hmm. and had this great time. Around 10.30, the poor girl up front um, very nicely asked us to... To leave, the the hot, <laughs> to leave the hot tub because it was it was pretty loud. It was probably the loudest thing happening in Ephraim oh, yeah. that night. Um, and so we all went to Jorge Rojas' room, who's a really amazing, talented artist. Yeah. Um, and to have all some just great conversations. Talked. Yeah. He took a cute photo of all of us, just I kind did. of engaged in, in talking. And it wasn't, you know, we were joking that um, it's it's what Amy and Taryn would have liked to have seen. Darren was there. <laughs> oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even He was even the notice. one who brought the Smirnoff ice. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Um, well, thanks, Darren. Yeah, because um, we drink. We totally I, drink I, that. I drank a bunch of those. <laughs> um, appreciate it. I'll get you next time. Yeah, it's just so, you know, they're aware <laughs> that, you know, we were having all those conversations. And it was genuinely, it wasn't forced or anything. Like, we all... It felt like speed dating. We were, like, all just really excited to talk to the next person. But, like, we just kind of going around and, mm. and connecting with everybody about completely different things. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Alex about magic cards. <laughs> it felt like the beginning of like, on the one hand, you know, it was nice that this was such a self-contained, like kind of day long, 24 hour experience. On the other hand, I would have spent like six weeks with these people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it reminded me of when I like studied abroad and, um, that first night of getting to know everybody and everyone, getting in the dorm room and getting drinks and just chatting about things like it it totally had that really invigorating energy yeah i didn't picture myself staying up that late we talked to jorge <laughs> up until uh, 2 a.m you know just about art and about community and everything and just learned so much i i 
was reeling after that night and the next morning I can't I remember just being like oh my god like I'm I feel so amazing wasn't that amazing like I just kept on looking at you and being like you were there that was great Mm -hmm. right (laughs) so yeah so we just go wake up early and we went and got two breakfasts two breakfasts after and shout out to the hotel continental breakfast honestly that was really good it was pretty good yeah I realize that operation is not a five-star, five-star breakfast. <laughs> so you're calling breakfast five-star, but I not the saying, place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. We went and met with everybody like 9 a.m., right? 9.30? Yeah. Just kind of had coffee and talked outside for a little while. And for then breakfast number two at yeah. Granary. Um, and then all got into the museum area and listened to the Southwest panel. Um, which, like I talked about, was Steve Jansen, Lauren Tresp, and Scotty Hill. And they just kind of did an overview of, like, what Southwest Contemporary is and does, um, like, their purview, their, like, hub-and-spoke hub model for how they operate editorially and um, kind of fund things, um, how they measure their impact in ways that are, like, hard to quantify. Scotty talked about some of her experiences in Utah specifically. Honestly, I I feel like Scotty talking was maybe some of the best part of it. um, Yeah. Just because she was able to kind of elucidate her experience as a Utah arts writer, which, you you know, in talking to Amy and Darren about it prior to, um, the big question was sort of, like, how do we approach... Uh, I perceive one of the big questions being like, how do we approach approach constructive criticism when we live in a small community where we all know each other? And Scotty was able to speak to that. And backlash that she's experienced. Yeah, pretty specifically. Talking about like what it was like for people to... You know, Steve was like, I had to pull you back from some of the things you were saying about this one piece, but in this other piece, you're pretty tame, but it still sort of pissed someone off. You know, that's a question... I, I, I think one of the themes for one of my like takeaway themes for this uh conference was that i would have liked to have tackled that question more um and i think that i it probably needed to just be on me to have that conversation with other individuals um but i really appreciated the moments where we did touch on it explicitly um and i think scotty did a good job of that I feel like I left that panel thinking that I could do more as a writer. Me too. I definitely was a lot, uh, very inspired by their mission. And, I mean, we both write for them. Um, their mission and also specifically, like, Scott's and Scott. I keep calling Steve Scott. Uh, Steve's writing and A Rift in the West, that article about, you know, kind of um, that shank artist and modern West and that conflict there. And uh, Scotty's writing, which... You know, coming from Slug, we did not have the opportunity to write for articles like that. And that's that's okay. It's just not the beat. And Southwest Contemporary is a lot more open to doing that and maybe writing articles that raise questions, uh, that challenge the community, that challenge individuals in that community, no matter how powerful they are, you know? Um, And I really enjoyed that. Next was... Shanna's talk. talk and it was really refreshing and like interesting to hear her talk about what actual like arts criticism looks like in places like LA and all over the country yeah, really she writes for LA Weekly and that was really interesting one thing that really stuck with me um, her talk she was more walking through different artists that she knows and that she 
she writes about and kind of answering general questions about large-scale art criticism at that level. But one thing Mm -hmm. that stuck with me was when she said that an approach that she likes to use is reading the artist's statement and then comparing the art to the artist's statement and then writing the piece that way. Like, did this match with that? Yeah. The artist do... approach to criticizing. Yeah. Did the artist do what they said they were doing? And why didn't I get it? Or why did I get it? Mm -hmm. Um, I really... Uh, that was something that, like, I'm definitely going to utilize moving forward. Yeah, even though she, like, her experiences draw from a different scale, I I did feel like they were applicable and, like, insightful, helped me provide insight into my, into our own situations as far as, not necessarily, like, what happens if someone gets mad at you, but sort of, like, okay, so you're in close proximity to another person, how do you approach the task of being critical? What I would have liked to hear more from hers was, is um, how she got started. How did she get to this level of art criticism? Like, how does one start being an art critic? Do you start as an art writer and then you just... Well, the thing is, I feel like I know that that answer for, like, the contemporary age, which is, like, you you know, you just start writing and doing and applying, uh, you know, and pitching and... um, But... And that was probably true to an extent uh, then, too. But I don't know. She's been around a long time. So mm-hmm. um, I w- it would have been interesting to hear her talk. And it's not like she wouldn't have it. It's just, you know, a limited amount of time. Um, but to hear, like, what has her perception of it been and, like, seeing new writers and, like, new trends. Like, mm-hmm. so someone who just has, like, a very long-term perspective. Yeah, I feel like I see art critics at, in her, at her caliber. Um, in her caliber. I don't know. Um, as kind of an egg, chicken egg situation because you need that, like, your name to mean something so that someone wants to care about what you're saying about art. Yeah. You know, that your opinion matters. So, like, how do you gain that? You know, how do you, like, what happens first? The name or the work or the, you know, like. How would the name happen first? Because you need a name to, in order to, like, someone's going to want to read your stuff but how would that part happen first how would you get a name for yourself if you weren't doing the work first? that's what i'm saying like how does that work that's the question i'm posing oh okay mm-hmm. neither of us know no we don't um uh, oh yeah she's kind of like in the in the arena where it's like there are art critics who could visit a a, a big a curation and just sort of write something scathing about it that is sort of more reflective about you know you know there are levels of critics where it's like yeah that they have a name you you know what their relationship they have such a um, they've expressed so much of their relationship to art that um they are almost kind of like a a waypoint or a guiding tool themselves where it's like i know if this person feels this way about this thing then i probably am going to feel this way about this thing because i know so much about that person's relationship to art at large or this type of art and i i i wouldn't necessarily say we have people like that in our community it it, i don't think we have the opportunity for that no yeah i mean it, it i just can't imagine being like, oh, did you, you know, the new Yumoka exhibits out, you know, who it's really going to annoy, this particular art critic. Like, we just don't, like, have those level of big players in our scene. Yeah. At least not to my knowledge. If not, where do I apply? <laughs> yeah. <it could laughs> easily be you. I would love that. I can see you being, like, 
chain smoking in a chaise lounge complaining about the latest exhibit. I did walk away from that being like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. She mm-hmm. just, the way she, she just talks about her experiences, like, I want to live as much as she's lived. Yeah. For sure. So after that, it was lunchtime. Excellent which was lunch. so good. I had a Dr. Pepper. Mm. I would love that. What did I have? I think we I had We all had the same. Oh. Well, we, yeah, we all had the same food. Oh. I would love that sandwich and I that pasta. Bread. How many more days do we have of no bread? Um, I don't even know. I, I lost my ability to count after I gave up are bread. We, are we good? <laughs> anyway, so then we went to, um, it drove out a little bit west to um, from Ephraim to the center, the quote-unquote center. And followed, Monument. Uh, we all carpooled, followed Amy Jorgensen in her car. She uh, really knows her way around those back roads. Yeah, um, everyone I, was impressed. We had front row seats to, mm-hmm. to like that Subaru commercial, basically. Yeah. Uh huh. It it was kind of like we uh, we all hiked up. Um, I hiked in heels. You did. I don't know that I liked that, but you but did. I did it. Um, and it wasn't a long hike or anything. It was, it was probably just like an incline. Yeah, it was just like maybe like an eight or ten minute hike, uh, but it was enough to like I think win some of us. And, All of us. Yeah, it took us up a little hill, and so you could see the whole valley in Sampy Valley. I don't know if that's what it's called, but the the Sampy Valley is what I'm calling it. Um, it is really gorgeous. You know, it it feels um, very secluded, and so then we um, went back down and sat in some chairs and listened to. Which, thank you again to the volunteers for setting, climbing that incline with those chairs. I I wish I would have taken a moment to, I I did say thank you to one of them, but I wish I um, could have, well, you know, we did all clap for them at the end, (laughs) so never mind. But thank you here as well. Yeah, that that was, they made everything really great. It it was like, you didn't even have to think about it, but so. uh, Hickmet Lowe. Hickmet Cindy Lowe talked about the center circumference. And it explored the idea of a center while we were basically at the center uh, monument. It's very meta. Uh huh. And this is actually kind of um, relating to a recent exhibit that you had written about called "The Center Cannot Hold," which basically kind of begs the question of what is the center to everything, and what what does that mean to? <sighs> I have to read the article. Like the, <laughs> it was the, so long ago. The, but yeah, the relationship to the center to the. The idea of choosing conference and math, <laughs> right? The idea of um, like circumferences and boundaries being incredibly arbitrary mm-hmm. and basically motivated a lot of the time by um, greed, um, by extractive pursuits. Uh, mm-hmm. They ended up moving the border for Utah uh, or Nevada a lot of the time. Just you know, in the early, I believe, in the nineteenth century, just because or. In the 1800s, um, because you know it, it enabled them were to like mining and gold. Yeah, it just like enabled them to extract resources um, in the way that they wanted to be able to do that. Well, um, she she talked a lot about the history of you know obviously land ownership and uh-huh. um, the indigenous tribes who you know didn't uh, buy, abide by like rules like that, right? Yeah, quote unquote rules. Yeah. So uh, you know, and how their way of uh, building their communities and their spaces wasn't wasn't like that. So and so the con- the contrast between and that and you know <laughs> colonization, obviously. Yeah, um, we're invo- talking about basically manifest destiny and um, thinking about 
you know, Salt, Salt, and also considerations of like Salt Lake is the capital. Salt Lake's in the north, mm-hmm. um, you know, relative to the rest of everything. The center is Ephraim, but it's thought of as like the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're having extremely interesting conversations and uh, like doing some really in- like a lot of interesting work is happening there. It's not considered the center. Um, but in some ways, there is no center. The, the like the whole concept of it is fraught. Uh, value to the center is assigned. Yes, and uh, that shifts according to who's in power. Yes, exactly. And this that's why this this is what, this is funny because it was like one of those conversations and those prompts that was like we can talk about this forever because there's yeah, really there's so no answer ways. or like there's so many ways to approach this and there's no question that's really being asked so there's no answer that's being given it's more about talking about how this affects us in our everyday lives and we were sitting out in the sun so everyone was like getting really into it but also like also we're hot and we were like, so that, <laughs> that hike wasn't terrible it was a very good hike but also it was getting a little hot i didn't bring any water was, no, I was so confident I wouldn't need it. Yeah, it was getting a little hard to to pay attention, but I, I honestly just because um, some of the comments, you know, as it opened up into like a time for comments, people were getting very heady and kind of conceptual and abstract, and I was having trouble keeping pace because I was just a little t- a little thirsty. Yeah, you were pretty thirsty. We, we got back in the car and couldn't find any water. But it was very memorable. Yeah. Um, you know, you asked what stuck out to me the most, and I answered with the Southwest. And, like, I think that, like I said, that was because it sort of stimulated, like, some something in me uh, uh, that I feel like I need to do personally in my own arts writing and arts work. Um, but, I'll, you know, every, every part of this had a, had a pretty memorable couple of moments to it. And I think it's, it's going to, I'm definitely always going to remember that site of just like mm-hmm. look, s- sitting on the hill, looking at, looking at Hikmet. In her hat. In her hat. <laughs> and um, she's complaining about uh, the wind making her papers rustle so that the, the recording wasn't going to be. And Jorge recorded. was like, make sure that you, you say that Utah was also Mexico once. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and just seeing seeing Ephraim in the background, and you know, thinking about like this is where I went to college. I was here ten years ago. Like it, it was very striking. Not only were we getting really interesting discussion, but just like these kind of images and memories that are going to be instilled in my brain for a long time, rattling around. Then we went back, mm-hmm. and then we then then someone then little Bianca. Yeah, I had a presentation. Bianca had some stuff to say. Uh with Alex. Bianca yeah. trapped us all in a room and said, "Hey, listen to me." No, well, it was interesting to go after like this physical thing because I was I was in the pocket as they would say earlier. And so it was funny cuz after like I was all my makeup had been smeared off and and which was fine cuz it was honestly like I thought it was it, in my head. I was like, "This is bad," because if we're, I'm presenting all messy and disheveled and dirty, but then I real like, quickly realized I'm like, "No, this is good," yeah. because <laughs> then I'm like, "I don't have to pretend to be anything. I could just be presenting." And uh, we're all tired. We're all in the same boat. We're all did yeah. the same hike, and mm-hmm. now we're like family. So now I just need to talk, and we're all like, and you know, and it was, so it was. It ended up being like really great. Alex, I think he was, it was funny, he was, he spilled a little coffee on his shirt earlier and was so stressed about the coffee. And then it's, it's funny how like later it just was like, that coffee is like totally irrelevant now. We're covered in dirt. (laughs) (laughs) 
So. so you guys talked about how you can use non-arts writing experiences and just sort of lived experience as um, different entryways into the like quote-unquote house of arts criticism. Um, and and using ways of thinking about the world from the perspective of dance, from music, from Magic the Gathering, you know, just sort of ways of interacting with the world that feel like they're inappropriate, that, that can feel like they're, like, quote-unquote, inappropriate for engaging with arts criticism, as, you know, just embracing those and using those as ways to tell people how you relate to art or feel about art and kind of taking out from under like kind of pulling the rug out from under the the conception of arts writing as like a thing that requires like an arts history degree or mm-hmm. um the ability like like a, a high technical writing ability you can have a relationship to art you already have a relationship to art basically mm-hmm. was was your argument you just need to um, you know, find a way to make that compelling to other people, and you probably already have those tools. Am I misrepresenting? Do you? No, that's, that's correct. I keep thinking about when I was organizing this class with Alex, and I, we were putting the concept together, and I was explaining it to you. Your response was that arts history does have a role in all of this, and and that you do need arts history to apply to arts well, criticism. My objection was are are we getting too far away from respecting the role uh that or the, or what having an understanding of like the historical context of any given thing might be uh are are, are we just advocating for people kind of doing like uh I don't know like gonzo journalism almost just being like you know I showed up in the parking lot at 3am and I had a cigarette and looked at the piece of art and I felt something, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, yeah. Um, but that you guys assuaged my fears. That was not really what you were promoting. Well, and I'd like to also lean a little bit towards the way of art history, where it's like just because I didn't have that education from arts history doesn't mean that I can't uh, respect or learn what its role is. And that's one of the things that I've learned that I learned that night uh, when I was talking to Jorge. You know, mm-hmm. right before I'm about to have this presentation talking about how to use other tools other than art history in arts writing, um, where he was talking about the value of that and, and how it's important. And that um, even though it's not something that I could have accessed through as an edu- for, as a path for education or, or something like that, where it's like not inherently in my life, doesn't mean that it doesn't. Like, it, yeah, it took my, me out of the equation, which was like, yeah. good. It, it feels like that stuff can be like an ivory tower, but I, I think he was like, you, you can access all that information. That the, the, the context is always available to you through, through one way or another. And I think, too, what was interesting about your guys' talk was that I felt like it promoted this idea of, because you were talking about like um, Nora Price as someone in our community mm-hmm. who is who has their finger in a lot of pies. They're mm-hmm. um, involved in like, um, like lending their talents to a lot of different projects. Um, through a lot of different mediums yeah and so even if you know we go to a museum and we we go to umoka we go to umfa we go to lost acorn or something and look at the pieces and have a relationship to it but we're not sort of invoking any kind of larger context about that 
uh, or like able to engage with like the history or like the meaning that is being derived from its place in history, I guess is the way to put it. Over time, if we're engaging, what we are still tapping into is like our local scene, our local history, and like not in terms of like hard dates and like pieces necessarily, but like we remember when this person was in this show and now they're doing this thing. And then we remember when um, this band played with this thing. You know, it's like the, the, the things that we tend to think of as just like everyday happenstance are, you know, we're going to get 10 years from that. And that is, mm-hmm. once a certain amount of time has passed, it's like that was the context. That was the history. We were engaged in it. And so I appreciated that you guys were kind of like prodding that to the forefront of it. Yeah, it's like, I think Shanna, Shanna said this, or something, somebody said this. <laughs> I'm sure many people said this a, a bunch of times. But that the writing of what's happening now is what gives it its, its historical value. It's that it's being written about. Right, yeah, we are, by choosing what to write about, in, in choosing what to write about, we are choosing what becomes, like, the canon, or yeah. becomes documented. And something that people can refer back to later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this podcast that we're doing now is maybe in <laughs> in 10 years when people are, like, trying to figure out, like, okay, in the early 2020s, what was it like? What were they thinking years? about? They're going to do that from 10 years from now? They're going to care? I don't know. You know, I mean, I, fi- trash out there. I find myself <laughs> interested a lot uh, in, like, 2010, 2011 in a way I never thought I would. But it's like, mm-hmm. when you when you rewind back to that time and think about what it felt like to be in that moment, it felt so different. Some concepts that today are totally pedestrian felt so radical back then. So after, mm-hmm. what did we do? Then we went to the Ratfink Museum, mm-hmm. which we were so tired. Yeah, point. I think everyone was pretty tired, but <laughs> mostly just from being out in the hot sun. But there's no complaints about that. We nobody can control the sun. Yeah, no. It's like the one thing I would know, event I, organizers wish they could do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I. It's not a complaint. It's it. It like totally added flavor to the day. But uh, that's so the Ratfink Museum is in Manti, and again, uh, it. If I haven't said it already, I went to school at Snow College and lived there for about two years, year and a half. I had no idea that thing was there. The entire I could have gone, mm-hmm. no clue. I'd have was not a curious individual enough. To figure I that don't out. know if it's even advertised because it seems like it's a, by appointment only. It did. It did seem like they were not trying to like make a big deal out of it yeah. at all. Nothing was like, for sale. Like no one. Yeah. No. And no one had ever mentioned it to me. I mean, maybe someone did, and I just totally forgot and had no yeah. idea what it was at the time. But but it was interesting to go from you know all day talking about curated art and art history and what matters in in culture and all that and whatever uh, the many things that ours does and we've gotten very heady for a while yeah and then we go and we learn about this guy it's like just, quote-unquote lowbrow art yeah and and who just like didn't like mickey mouse and wanted to in the 50s and wanted to do like an anti-mickey mouse with a big titty girlfriend named trixie and she came, I think, significantly later. But did she? Either way, it's this. It's like hot rod art, right? It's for people who want to like drag race with their yeah. cars, airbrush t shirts, yeah, and do pinstripes. So yeah, they invented t shirts, is what the guy claimed. Yeah, that that Big Daddy Roth invented t shirts. 
So we like have a popular conception of a t-shirt. Yeah, so like we have him to thank for like the Hurley shirts and the Vans shirts and the Von like graphic Dutch, very specifically he name dropped. So I don't know. It, yeah, um, and that was really interesting to learn about and uh, to see this whole world of people all over the country, all over the world that come to these conferences and reunions every year to come and celebrate this like subsection of art that like I've never thought about once in my life yeah. and like most people there haven't either like haven't even heard about it our friend Chase I think is the only one <laughs> yeah <laughs> but he likes cars so yeah yeah we got there and like we're all kind of conf- you know the signage is clear but we were like do we keep walking up this driveway like it's just sort of this private residence where you go into kind of this hangar and it's just full of all this like officially like licensed Ratfink memorabilia. Um, there's like plushies. There's cars. There's posters. There's T-shirts. There's like any kind of object you can name. There was like a Ratfink thing of it, and and you know that's the sort of thing that you would imagine. Like it, it kind of had like it was like you were going into the Disney store or something, but like way better because this was all. I guess, like, under... Like, people just like this thing, and it's not... As far as I can tell, it is not a... It's not, like, an industry. It's, it's not, not, like, a billion-dollar... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, like, this thing still exists because it, it spoke... Yeah, it's, it spoke to such a moment and a time, and so it felt, again, very unpretentious. You know, Ratfink has itchy and scratchy vibes. Yeah, totally. I think that's the best way I can describe them. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there was, like, some inspiration from that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... That would make sense. And, yeah, I think we all kind of trickled out after yeah. that. I think we all all had a moment where we are like, all right, I think I'm done. Yeah. We're all like, love you. See you later. <laughs> yeah. It's time to go home. Yeah. It was a Friday. It was, like, time to Well, go we back had to home. drive back. Yeah. I mean, everyone. Everyone did. I guess some people stayed in the town for a little bit longer, but... Mm-hmm. Oh. That was the weekend. Yeah, that was, I keep on calling it a weekend, but it wasn't a weekend. It was a no, Thursday, it was a, Friday. Yeah, it was a Friday. <laughs> I was like, this weekend was amazing, and I'm like talking about Saturday and about this on Saturday morning. So, yeah, I'm I'm really glad we got the chance to kind of talk about this event, so that hopefully, like, people can understand the importance and the value of gathering. Yeah, it, it it's interesting that the, it's coinciding with like us kind of rounding out uh, this very like arts focused. Mm-hmm. Season because you know we we did this we did this for about half a year it took place after that and we it, it felt like a capstone to everything that we had done um, because part of what was fun is that like you know obviously we interviewed Amy and um, Darren uh, you we had done an interview with Reza who was in um, in Granary yeah who was in the cabin um, we'd interviewed Horacio who you're who now very there. close with. Um, you know, uh, it just felt like we had, in uh, maybe not necessarily in terms of, uh, in the capacity of locomotive, but we have each uh, had interactions with or touched a lot of the things that were um, sort of related. Like you mm-hmm. had done the piece on Hikmet. Yeah, I've um, written about Nancy. We write for Southwest Contemporary. Mm-hmm. I, I've written about Nancy. We worked with Alex. Alex literally was our editor. Yeah, so, so. It, it just felt like kind of a, a coming of age moment. It was really beautiful. Yeah, and again, that's I will restate what I said at the beginning that you questioned so much was yes, it was life changing. <laughs> well, okay, I believe you. <laughs> 
Well, uh, thank you for listening uh, to this episode. Next episode, we're going to go over all of the episodes in season one and talk about, you know, kind of what we've learned, any questions that we might still have. And then, you know, after that, we will start season two. So it's kind of perfect timing, middle of the year. Yeah. We'll, we'll go from there. Thank you for listening to us this far. I did check analytics and... Um, the other day, we're like, I saw that we were getting like 45 downloads a day or something like that. So Whoa. y'all are growing, which is really great. But don't forget to hit the subscribe button because that makes me sad to see <laughs> oh, like so many listeners, but no, no one's subscribing. So mm. um, it is super important to hit the subscribe button and then also leave reviews if you can. And if there's anything from the season that you'd like to share with us that you really enjoyed or that you have questions about, please email us and we can share them in our next wrap-up episode. Locomotive pot, locomotive SLC at gmail.com. Locomotive SLC at gmail.com. Our website, locomotivepodcast.com. Yeah. Even if you don't have like a well-fleshed-out thing, I mean, I would love, I would love if we had just like comments or something from mm-hmm. people to, to go through. That would be so stimulating. So yeah, that would be great. Please... Comments, please. <laughs> um, and again, just so much gratitude for everybody who's been on the show, who has listened, um, who has wanted to be on the show. Uh, thank you so much. And hopefully one day we're at a point, you know, where we can fund this and be able to pay people to be on there, uh, on the show, or, you know, get yeah. provide some more money into the local arts economy but obviously right now we we fund this all ourselves we don't have advertisers and yeah we're having fun we're having fun yeah yeah okay okay thanks for listening thanks for listening bye-bye bye